0: On today's episode, we continue that examination as Binger completes his argument for why the defendant is guilty of the murder of Joseph Rosenbaum and why he has no valid claim of self-defense. That's coming up right after the break.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot.
0: During our last episode, Prosecutor Binger narrated for the jurors as he showed them a series of videos capturing the killing of Joseph Rosenbaum. As we pick up Binger's argument today, he seeks to destroy any and all foundations of an assertion by Rittenhouse of a legal claim of self-defense. So, we have shown you
1: the defendant murdering Joseph Rosenbaum from three different angles. The drone footage, Drew Hernandez, and also... The uh, uh, FBI video. The defendant admitted that during this entire incident, he knew that Joseph Rosenbaum was unarmed. I'm going to come back to this in a little while, but there's this alleged threat that Mr. Rosenbaum made earlier in the evening to kill the defendant. I will debunk that. That did not happen. It is the one fact in this case the defendant wants you to believe that there's no video of. And in fact, I have the video of the entire incident. I've played it for you, and I'll show it to you again. There's no threat. There's also no evidence that Mr. Rosenbaum ever wanted the defendant's gun. He never said, I'm going to take your gun. He never said, I want your gun. There's no indication of that. Dr. Kelly has testified that the first shot that the defendant fired at Joseph Rosenbaum hit the victim in the right pelvis, fracturing it. Mr. Rosenbaum was incapacitated at that point. He is, whatever threat he might have posed, it's over. There is no further threat. He is falling to the ground, and the defendant doesn't stop after that first shot. He tracks Mr. Rosenbaum's body all the way down, firing three more shots. A second shot, which goes through Mr. Rosenbaum's hand, and then a third and fourth shot. One that grazes the right scalp, and one that goes right into Mr. Rosenbaum's back. And that is the kill shot. That is the one that took Mr. Rosenbaum's life. There is no evidence that Mr. Rosenbaum was reaching for the defendant's gun. And after that first shot, there's no way Mr. Rosenbaum could have taken that gun even if he wanted to. He is already falling to the ground. He is helpless, he is vulnerable. And as I said, the kill shot is the one to the back. This is that wound. Dr. Kelly testified that the angle of this shot was from the left shoulder towards the center of the back, and the bullet continued on down towards the right lower back area, tearing through bodily organs and killing Mr. Rosenbaum. Here's a picture of the wound to the, to the hand. There's been a lot of testimony about this wound. This is one in which the evidence suggests that Mr. Rosenbaum's hand was most likely turned in this position, palms outward with his thumb to the ground when the wound, the bullet goes through the area in between his middle finger and his ring finger and penetrates the lower knuckle of the middle finger and the index finger before exiting. Dr. Kelly testified there's soot in that area, suggesting that the hand was close to the end of the defendant's barrel of the AR-15 at the time of that shot. The defense wants you to believe it's there because Mr. Rosenbaum is deliberately reaching for the gun. Well, that doesn't make any sense. First of all, this occurs after Mr. Rosenbaum has been shot in the hip and has got a fractured pelvis at that point. He is falling. He is not able to walk. He's probably not even able to control much of his movements at this point. When you're reaching for that gun, this is not the way you're going to do it. This is not going to be effective. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, to the the extent Mr. Rosenbaum's hand ever got close to the end of the defendant's gun, it was completely inadvertent, not at all intentional. Now, we've heard a lot about the Zeminskis in this case, and I just want to carve them out of this case right now because it's a red herring. It has nothing to do with any of this. There's been some focus on that because I think the defense was hoping they could work this into their self-defense claim and make an argument that that first shot by Joshua Zeminski somehow made the defendant fear for his life. Unfortunately, the defendant wasn't on board with that because in his testimony, he told you that that shot had nothing to do with his thought process. It didn't affect him in any way. He said he didn't think the shot came from Joseph Rosenbaum. He knew Joseph Rosenbaum was unarmed. And he admitted to me, you can't kill Joseph Rosenbaum for something jo- Joshua Zaminsky did. So let's just carve Joshua Zaminsky out of this case. I'll deal with him on his arson trial in January. But until then, it doesn't factor into any of the decisions the defendant made. And in fact, as you see on the FBI video, the Zaminskys continue walking straight on down the sidewalk. They don't pursue the defendant. They don't threaten the defendant in any way. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, If. only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: The slide on the court TV monitor now says defendant brought a gun to a fistfight and shows a photo from the film Roadhouse with the actor Patrick Swayze squaring off with another combatant.
1: Now, the defense wants you to think Joseph Rosenbaum was there to attack the defendant. We'll never know what Joseph Rosenbaum was thinking because the defendant killed him. So we're just guessing. But let's assume for a minute. Yeah. Joseph Rosenbaum is chasing after the defendant because he wants to do some physical harm to him. He's an unarmed man. This is a bar fight. This is a fist fight. This is a fight that maybe many of you have been involved in. Two people, hand-to-hand, we're throwing punches, we're pushing, we're shoving, we're whatever. But what you don't do is you don't bring a gun to a fist fight. What the defendant wants you to believe is that because he's the one who brought the gun he gets to kill. So, I want you to contrast this. Two different scenarios. One scenario where there's two guys who are throwing punches at one another like a bar fight. I think we'd all agree, you can't kill someone. You can't punch the guy, knock him to the ground, and then get on him and strangle the life out of him. That's murder. So, what's the difference here? The only difference is the defendant brought a gun. He brought his AR-15. That's why, he's got to come up with this cockamamie theory that Joseph Rosenbaum was not only going to take the gun, but take it and then turn it on the defendant. And the defendant actually told you that he thought Joseph Rosenbaum was going to take that gun and not only kill him, but kill other people, which is really ironic, considering the defendant is the one who killed people in this case, and the only one. But putting that aside, they have to convince you that Joseph Rosenbaum was going to take that gun and use it on the defendant because they know you can't claim self-defense against an unarmed man like this. You lose the right to self-defense when you're the one who brought the gun, when you're the one creating the danger, when you're
0: the one provoking other people. Much of what Binger is saying here is now spelled out on the court TV monitors. The defendant fired four shots at Joseph Rosenbaum
1: and caused five wounds total. The first shot fractured Joseph Rosenbaum's pelvis. This causes him to be helpless. He is falling face first to the ground and he is vulnerable. The second shot went through his left hand, probably ricocheted off the ground and hit his lower left thigh. It's a flesh wound. I'm sure it hurt, but probably not all that serious. The third and fourth shots are as Mr. Rosenbaum has fallen almost completely to the ground. He is he's parallel to the ground. He is almost face first to the ground. The defendant fires a round into his upper back, which is the kill shot, and another round, which gazes, grazes his right scalp. At this point, as you saw in that video, a crowd rushes to that body to try and save Joseph Rosenbaum. They're trying to put clothing on the wound to stop the bleeding. They're going to take him across the street to a hospital. KMH, Freighter South, is literally right across the street. And this crowd, except for the defendant, are all focused on trying to save this person's life. A person, by the way, they probably had never even met before. Because that's what most people do. Richie McGinnis testified, I rode with Rosenbaum in the back of that SUV. I told him we'd have a beer
0: together when this was all done. Mr. Rosenbaum was unable to respond. Prosecutor Binger next puts up a card on the TV monitor that says defendant pulled the trigger four times. The defendant decided to pull the trigger on his AR-15
1: four times. That was his decision. And he is responsible for every bullet that comes out of that gun. He doesn't get a pass by pulling the trigger fast. He could have chosen to stop after the first shot, after the second shot, after the third shot, and assessed whether or not there was still a need to keep firing. But he went four times in .76 seconds. The defense has made a big point of this, how fast he fired, as if that somehow excuses him. Exactly the opposite, ladies and gentlemen. He controls how quickly he pulls the trigger. He is in control of that decision-making process. No one else made him do that. And this is indicative of someone who doesn't care about the consequences, doesn't care to stop and figure out, am I, am I good? Am I, do I need to stop? Or I'm just going to keep on going. And as I said, he tracks
0: the body all the way to the, to the ground with those second, third, and fourth shots. A new card on the monitor reads, the only way this is justified. The only way that you could possibly
1: justify the murder of Joseph Rosenbaum is if you believe that Joseph Rosenbaum was actually reaching for the defendant's gun and that a reasonable person in the defendant's position with that AR-15 strapped tightly to his chest would think that Joseph Rosenbaum was even capable of taking that gun away as he's falling to the ground with a fractured right pelvis. And then, not only all that, you'd also have to believe that Joseph Rosenbaum was going to turn that gun around and use it to kill the defendant. You have to believe all of those things to justify the murder of Joseph Rosenbaum. That's why the defense is trying so desperately hard to convince you that Joseph Rosenbaum threatened to kill the defendant, which never happened. That's why they're trying so desperately hard to convince you that Joseph Rosenbaum was reaching for that gun. Because if he's not reaching for that gun and he's not gonna use it to kill the defendant, it is not justified. There is no
0: valid self-defense claim. The card on the monitor reads, the defendant did not have to shoot.
1: One of the things the judge has instructed you is that when the defendant provokes the situation, he has to exhaust all reasonable means to avoid killing someone. Did he? He didn't have to shoot. He's the one who chose where to run. He chose to run in between those parked cars. He slows down as he gets there. The crowd's already running away. You know, the defense wants to make a point. There's a whole bunch of people over there who are doing stuff to cars, and the defendant had no escape route. The crowd's actually already running away at this point. They've heard the first gunshot from Joshua Zeminski, and they're already starting to scatter. But if you look on the video, there's a huge open space in that lot where the defendant could have circled back around, and he actually does circle back around after killing Rosenbaum, where he could have gotten away. He has to exhaust
0: all reasonable means of escape before killing Mr. Rosenbaum. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next installment as Prosecutor Binger begins his arguments for Rittenhouse's guilt on the other counts in the charges against the defendant. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to Quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karanik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.